Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, The scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 13, and then I'll read from Matthew. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then verse 13, you shall not murder. Then Jesus is speaking in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest you, your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guards and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray that um, today as Joel speaks, that you will give him clarity and good insight. And Lord, that um, you'll show to us just how far we have separated ourselves from you and from one another. And Lord, how to be reconciled to one another. Show us the way of love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As a church, we have been going through the Ten Commandments, and we've arrived to the Sixth Commandment. We've encouraged you, if you've never heard of the Ten Commandments, they uh, are listed a couple of times in the Old Testament. And a good way to think about them are God's rule of love. Uh, Jesus was asked once, how is it uh, that I know how to do business with all of these commandments? And Jesus summed it up with love. Said the commandments can be summed up by loving the Lord your God with all of who you are, your mind, soul, body, spirit, and and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the Ten Commandments unpack that. They give you some framework to begin to work through what does it look like to love God with all of who I am? And what does it look like to love my neighbor as myself? And the sixth commandment, it's fairly intuitive. Don't murder your neighbor. Uh, That's a good starting spot with how to love your neighbor as yourself. And we continue to work through these commands, not because uh, we want you to have a set of moral checkboxes where you just check it and don't ever think about it. I think it's a bit deeper. 
But because when it comes to the Christian faith, most people generally can say, oh yeah, I want to love God, and oh yeah, I want to love my neighbors myself. But what does that actually look like in the day-to-day of your lives? Well, in order to grow, in order to have spiritual vitality, in order to mature in a way in which you more fully love God and more fully love your neighbor, exploring and diving into the Ten Commandments, this side of Jesus' death and resurrection can help you to do just that. Montgomery County sent out a reminder, and I haven't figured out the rhythm of these reminders, but they sent out a reminder. Hey, when uh, you go to buy a car, here's some signs of flood damage. Don't buy a flood-damaged car. And so I thought, thank you, Montgomery County. I, I, I appreciate that reminder. And uh, it's, it's fairly... Uh, intuitive when you see a car that's really damaged, the front end is all messed up, and uh, the frame seems bent, and it looks like it's been through uh, some tough stuff, that maybe that's a car that you want to avoid. Well, that's, that's pretty intuitive. I think most people can, oh, I'm in the market for a used car. What should I avoid? Something that's really smashed up and doesn't even look like it'll survive a small road trip. Maybe that's one to avoid. Well, apparently, Salt water is not good for metal and electronics. Now, you don't have to be an engineer to understand this. Salt water, because of its composition, when it gets on combustible engines, let's say, or electronic parts, and uh, it stays there and dries over time, it has a corrosive effect that damages, weakens, impairs the rest of pretty much everything it touches when it comes to a vehicle. And the connection here is that when Jesus talks about the sixth commandment, the upfront is a lot like the banged up car, like don't murder your neighbor, right? Like most of us go, yeah, 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 that, got that Jesus? That seems pretty intuitive, good moral advice, I'm with you. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus is going to talk about the corrosive effects of anger that are connected to this command, do not murder, as a notification for you and your souls. That anger, when pressed down, while it's not as visible as murder, while it doesn't have the demonstrable effects, living a life full of anger has corrosive effects for your soul. Everything that it touches, it begins to weaken, impair, and degrade. And so the challenge for us as we think through the Ten Commandments and God's rule of love is to say, do I recognize not only that superficial visible effect of the Sixth Commandment, right? Do not murder. Of course, I think most everyone here will say, yeah, got that one. But to do business with anger as it connects to the Sixth Commandment in the same way that Jesus does in the sermon. To receive Jesus' notification to you this morning Do you recognize the spiritually corrosive effects of anger? Are you wary of it? Do you try to connect with that? That's where Jesus takes us in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're going to look at in two points this morning. The corrosive effects of anger and the renewing power of God. 
So in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching for a few chapters in Matthew. It's this lengthy thing. Uh, It's worked its way into pop culture. You'll hear excerpts from the Sermon on the Mount. It may be one of the most commonly quoted sections of Scripture in the 21st century in our current cultural moment. But right here in chapter 5, in verse 21 and 22, Jesus is doing this thing called the antithesis. You have heard it said in verse 21... But I tell you, or I say to you in verse 22. So he is, has gone up into or onto the mountainside, uh, maybe likely with an echo to Moses going up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Jesus goes up to the mountain to unpack that a bit further for the lives of you and me, members of his kingdom, people who are turning to God in faith and who are trying to live by the rule of love. Jesus says, I want to unpack this further for you. And so here, after teaching about the law in verses 17 through 20 and its ongoing effects for the people of faith, he dives in to anger. And as he does, I just want to note a couple of quick things. One is a bit of uh, a warning. Jesus here, he's speaking about general principles. This is wisdom at work. So for any of you who are contrarians or for those of you who are like super sensitive to every command, you have already been thinking in your head and maybe queuing up for Q&A. Wait, is Jesus saying I can't ever be angry because I may have a problem with that? No is the answer. So let me answer that one right now. No, he's not saying you can't ever be angry, but he's giving a general principle that living a life that's chock full of anger will have corrosive effects on your soul. Okay, so it's a general principle. Jesus himself got angry. I think there's a biblical case that when we see evil in our world, it is righteous. It's upright to be angry, to not just be settled with that. That's okay. But if everything you do in life seems, comes across, is touched by anger, then maybe it's having a corrosive effect on your soul. And that's what Jesus is warning you about. So he's doing it in general principles. Positively, so if that's the warning, there's some time for anger. Positively, he's making the point that our internal motivations and emotions, they matter. In verses 23 through 26, Jesus unpacks why. So he says, I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother or sister, so that's, that's, I think, inclusive language here, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. He is making this note that you can't just say, I don't create the external effects of dead bodies around me, so I'm good with the sixth commandment. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's true. You shouldn't be associated with that, but I've got more to tell you. If you walk around and interact with your neighbors with the motivation and emotionally pervasive state of anger, your soul may be in trouble. You may be in a more dangerous spot than you've given yourself credit for. To use the car illustration, just because your fender or front end is not messed up does not mean there's not corrosive effects going on in your life. 
And so Jesus is saying this is important for you spiritually. If you want to grow up, if you want to mature, if you want to truly be able to love God and love your neighbor, you've got to recognize what motivates you and where your emotional state is. That stuff's important. And I think that's important for us to hear in the 21st century because we live in a time and a place where, generally speaking, so long as you publicly say the right things, uh, you can kind of keep all your private stuff private. Um, So so long as uh, you don't uh, leave any external effects around, then, you know, you're not likely to get in any trouble with the judicial system. And, And Jesus here is putting it in a more intense way and says that may fly for pop culture. It may fly for the judicial system, but it doesn't fly as a kingdom member. It doesn't fly in terms of how God views our lives and who we are. There is a connection with not only the actions that we take in our lives and in our relationships, but there's a connection with what motivates us and what we're thinking and feeling about others. When you begin to realize that, now you can see, wait, that's a lot more challenging when it comes to the sixth commandment than just checking a quick box and saying, I don't leave external effects. This Jesus teaching about the law and its continued effect, it it serves for us as a guardrail for our faith. It helps us keep going the direction of loving God with all of who we are and loving our neighbors uh, as ourselves. There could be a danger to take the grace of God that we've received and to use it as an excuse to do whatever we want or to think or feel whatever we want because, hey, I've received grace. That can happen, by the way, if you are uber, uber religious um, or if you know a bit of theology, then you can put it this way. Uh, Because of God's sovereign grace in my life and because he's predestined all things, I'm good. And the theological heavyweight word for that is antinomianism, and it's bad. But you don't have to be some theologically well-read person to know that antinomianism doesn't work out. And Jesus' section here in the Sermon on the Mount is making that case. You may just broadly say, hey, 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 look, I just love God and everything else is covered because I just love God. And you're not using any heavyweight theology. You're just kind of using this general concept of I I just want to love God. It's not that wanting to love God is bad. It's that Jesus is saying, hey, there is guidance here, a rule of love that Jesus is giving us to keep us on the road to love in the right direction. To put it this way, just because you have gas in your tank and the steering wheel works doesn't mean that you can just go wherever you want and arrive at your destination, right? Uh, It helps to have Waze or Google Maps or whatever uh, software app, no endorsements, that you use. Uh, It helps to have a sense of where am I heading. That's what Jesus is doing here, not only with the Ten Commandments as originally given, but as he amplifies it, right? He's saying, listen, this is in effect for us. Spiritual growth is more than just what you do. It's also how you think and how you're motivated. What drives you? Now, if you let that sink in, that anger has corrosive effects, and we see Jesus' connection here pretty seriously to spiritual judgment, that's the scary part of the text, right? That's the like, whoa, 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 Joel, 
wait a second. If I understand you right, you are saying that God, number one, sees and knows everything, including my thoughts and desires. Yes. And that he takes those thoughts and desires seriously. And when he calls me to love him and love others, that that's involved. It's not just what I do. Yes, that's what Jesus is saying. Well, then who can ever live up to that? Because that's really scary. Yes. And that's the great news of Christianity, right? It's that Jesus not only gives the rules, but that Jesus meets the rules, demands for you. That is the good news of Christianity, that Jesus, when he's unpacking this, and he's saying there is a rule, a direction to go when it comes to loving God and loving your neighbor, he knows that we can't live up to it. We're incapable. We don't do it. And so he loves us enough to fulfill the demands for us. That Jesus comes down from the mountain of teaching and climbs up onto the cross to do business with sin for you. That is God's grace to us. And so when we move forward following the rule of love, we always do it with that good news in mind. Not that it alleviates those other things, but it helps us to navigate them. And this is where it gets really important for how this works out into our lives. Because when someone comes into an emergency room and they've been in something traumatic, all the healthcare providers are trained pretty quickly to not just look at the superficial stuff of what you can see, but once you establish some of the basics of their heart beating and their airway being under control, you get them to a CT scan so that you can actually see what's going on deep in the internal stuff, right? Because you, you, know, you can always stitch up a cut, you can always wash out a wound, but if something's going on involving vital organs, they may need deeper intervention. And, and so there's a way to quickly deal with the most important stuff. For us, spiritually, what can happen is we can look at our spiritual lives and say, you know, I'm not murdering anyone, so I'm good. But that's a superficial look at our spiritual realities. And so the challenge for us is in light of Christ dealing with our sin and giving us freedom to begin to love others well, that we start to interrogate our own motives. Are you an angry person? Have you ever been told you're kind of angry? Or sometimes it's like this because people don't want to be that confrontational and say, whoa, man, that seems intense for what we're talking about here. Do you find sometimes that small things in life create serious and profound reactions for you on the inside? It's not a perfect spiritual CT scan. But these are ways to get at how we think through this rule for loving one another better as a community. This is why community is so important because oftentimes you may be angry about things that you have blind spots toward or you just don't know how to do business with. 
And this is why we as a community can help one another when it comes to following the sixth commandment and growing up in our spiritual faith. Because if we know one another well enough, then we may be in a spot to say, man, you seem like an angry woman. Or man, you seem like an angry man. Not as a public judgment of the person to rebuke them, not to score points, but just to try to really what's underneath that question is, is everything okay and what's going on with you? A stranger is unlikely to ever do that. They won't know you well enough. They won't be able to engage you. But as a church community, we have the opportunity to do that well, or at least to try to. And that's what God calls us to as a people of faith. Counselors are really good at that. Counselors oftentimes can spend time with you, and that's intention time to try to get at motivations and to try to get at what's connected to those mismatches in your emotional response and your behavior. But look, here's the reality. We don't have enough good counselors, and they're also really expensive, which creates a financial barrier for people getting access to them. And some people just have an allergic reaction to say, hey, you should go see a counselor because of all sorts of other reasons. They just, they can't do it. And so counselors are one part of this, but it's more than that. It's the elders of a church who ideally are spiritually mature enough to not get offended, to not be uh, on the defensive, but to try to always be thinking what's going on underneath here. It's your community group leaders who we hope here at Mosaic are spiritually mature enough to pick up on those subtle signs or patterns that you may miss to say, hey, you know, uh, can we grab coffee? I just want to make sure things are going okay. It's even just one another, your family members, your friends, the people who you trust. Listen for the cues where people are saying, hey, your motivations don't match your behavior. And then I want you to make the connection back to, oh, wait, Jesus had something to say about this. I can't just checkbox the sixth commandment. I need to do more. That's what it looks like at its best for Christians to continue to grow in their faith. Not that they're perfect, not that we have it all together, but that we love one another enough to have these conversations, and that's not easy, and that I pray that we're growing in our faith enough to where we don't get defensive about these things, but we try to be willing to demonstrate the humility to work through our own motivations. That's what growing Christian lives as a community looks like, and that's what God calls us to. Here at Mosaic, that gives us the opportunity as a multi-ethnic church with different generations, with people coming from different backgrounds to learn and listen. There's going to be things that other people see about our lives that, that we may not know or that we're going to miss. And uh, while I know that in some ways it's harder to be a part of a multi-ethnic community, uh, to be a part of a diverse community, the benefits of that are that there are lots of angles for us to grow. And when we do that, you begin to move beyond uh, what anyone else can offer. There, no political party, not Democrats and not Republicans, can offer you spiritual growth and dealing with anger and motivations in a healthy way, particularly not in our current moment. No civic organization, no matter how well-intentioned in the work that they're doing, can do it. It's because 
The renewing power to truly deal with motivations, including our anger, can ultimately only come, we believe as Christians, from God himself. And so that's why it's worth it to participate in a church. That's why it's worth it to keep navigating through this stuff. It's not only because we're checkboxing some religious thing that's way too superficial to think about it. It's because I want to love God and I want to love my neighbor. And the only way that I can do that is being connected to other church members. That's how God's designed it. By the power of his spirit, that's how he works. And that's my hope for us as a community. That we would be this space for people to come in. That we would, we're going to make mistakes. We have made mistakes as a community. But that we will try to listen and continue to grow. That we won't get hard-hearted or cynical. That in a day and age when the cultural banter seems so dehumanizing for others, for the people who I'm against, for my opponents, that as a church, we would be a model of humanizing people, not just to their face, but even behind closed doors, even in our own hearts and motivations, we would always recognize the humanity and the value of the image bearers around us, no matter how much we may disagree with them on a particular issue. That's an opportunity for the church in the 21st century in America to, to, to do something, not only that God has called us to, but that nobody else can do right now, it seems like. That's something for us to work toward. That's a direction we can head. Not only checkbox the sixth commandment and say there's no bodies around us, but say we're trying to work through our own motivations and the ways in which we think and talk about others may disagree with us as a full community. That is what it would look like for us to head down the direction of God's rule of love just as Jesus leads us. Let's go after that in the months and years ahead. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us, uh, each of us here, the children, women and men, different stages of life, different challenges, different hurts, different pains, different things that motivate and drive our anger. God, I ask in all of it that you will lead us, that you will care for us, and that we would grow. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.